As you're uh, taking your seat, if you would, grab your Bibles. Uh, grab the one out of the back of the uh, pew in front of you if you didn't bring one. But grab your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 30, real quick. Uh, we started a series last week, a quick four-week little series. Um, and we're using a video, uh, video teaching, video, it's a book um, about uh, the, lo- the uh, way of a worshiper. And um, if you, again, if you weren't here, I just want to share with you that, that worship is so much more than, I think, sometimes how we define it. And Pat, thank you so much for uh, doing that last week. And it was very refreshing to sit and be a part of, uh, of a teaching and uh, to just enjoy that and be blessed. Uh, so so with, when we look at worship, uh, sometimes we, we define it, and we'll talk about that here in just a couple minutes, and then we're going to watch the video. But in Mark chapter 10, or 12, uh, verse 30, Jesus says this, and, and it's quoted uh, back, clear back in Deuteronomy, uh, and it's also quoted throughout the Gospels. Uh, but it says this, um, let me just start verse 28. It says, one of the scribes approached, when he had heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, uh, he asked, which command is the uh, most important of all? Now, again, he's trying to trip Jesus. He's trying to trick him. And Jesus answers, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And in verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Um, that verse 30, love the Lord your God. That's what we're instructed to do. That's the greatest commandment. The greatest, Jesus himself says the most important commandment is to love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, and all of our strengths. Now, I don't know about you, but that can be hard at times. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world where things don't go right and it, it just totally takes I think it can take our attention, it can distract us, uh, we can become deceived, we can, all these different things, we can become discouraged, we, can just, want to, we just want to throw in the towel at times. Um, just all kinds of different things can happen. And then when you, hear, when you read this verse, it says we're to love God with everything that we have, our mind, heart, soul, you know, um, strength, all of that. It's like, my question is, how? How do we do that? How do we, how do we love God directly and specifically? I mean, I think that's the question. How do we love God directly and specifically? And that question is going to come up right now. Right now. There we go. How do we love God directly and specifically? I mean, isn't that, the, I hope that's the question we all have. When we read that verse, it's like, how do I how do, I do that? And, and when you look at that, it seems to, to me, it seems to insinuate that Jesus is asking, God is asking us, to love him with every faculty that we have. It also, I think, suggests that it's not just one-dimensional, that, that we're, that we're kind of made up of, of various parts, and God's saying, I want you to love me with everything. I want you to love me uh, you know, with your emotions, your strength, your heart, every ounce of you, every part of your being, I want you to love me. Well, my question would be, how do we do that directly and specifically? One of the ways, I think, uh, is, and I ran across this quote found in a book called Experiential Worship by Bob, Bob Rogman. And he makes, this, he makes this statement. I have it here as a quote. He says this, The beauty and wonder of worship is that it's the only thing. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. And t- you know, you may not agree with it. I don't know. It's up to you. The beauty and wonder of worship is that it is the only thing 
we can give to God that he does not already have. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about God, he's, he owns everything, right? He's got everything. He created all things. And for someone to throw a quote out there like that, it's like, it just kind of grabbed me like, wow, that, I align with, I, I think that's true. I think that's what God so, so much wants from us is that intimate relationship that happens through worship. And it's not just coming and singing. It's not just, you know, doing our, fulfilling some duties on Sunday morning, but it's, Again, living, living this life out, living my life out to where I'm loving him with everything I can. And that, I think, is true worship. Uh, and it's the only thing that he does not already have. That's the one thing that we can give him that he does not have. And he goes on to say this. He goes on to say, worship is the one thing, is the one thing we do exclusively to express our love to God. Worship is the... One thing that we do to exclusively express our love to God. Now, let's, okay, we're going to be real here for a second, okay? Let's just be real for a second. When we talk about worship, and this is where we kind of set it up last week. When we talk about worship, I think for many of us, we're drawn to music, right? We're drawn to what we do on Sunday mornings. It can have a myriad, when we say worship, it can have a myriad of different uh, meanings. I bet if we went around the room and asked, and if we were really honest, and we would respond what's really inside of us, I think we would hear things from how we sing. I think we would hear things about our programming on Sunday morning. I think we would hear about liturgies. I think we'd hear about stylis- you know, stylistic issues. Um, all kinds of things. We would say, well, this is worship. And some of us will say, well, you know, let's do, uh, let's do some praise and worship, and then let's sing some of these other songs. And it's like, so it's like we have this, just this myriad of, 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 of ways I think we define worship. I think when we come in here on a Sunday morning, you know, we gravitate in towards things and we say, yeah, I, I, I gravitate, I like this, I don't like that, you know. And I'm not saying that, that we're critical, maybe some of you are. But I'm just saying naturally, we say, I think we gravitate towards things that we like, our preferences and things like that. I know we do because I've had many conversations with people. And worship becomes our preferences. Worship can become our preferences. Is that really what God is talking about? Is that really what we're talking about when we're talking about that's the only one thing that God doesn't have from us is our worship? Is it really reduced down to that that when we come in here, when we assemble in here together, when we thank God for, you know, this place, this structure that we can come in, are we worshiping God or are we worshiping structure and programming and, and other things? You see, the really, the purest form of worship is when God moves within our lives or he has moved within our lives and then we respond to him. That's the purest form of worship is when God moves and then we respond to him when God moves when we encounter him we respond back his spirit moves within our lives at times bringing love truth uh, conviction grace mercy forgiveness comfort exhortation and guidance and all kinds of different things that his spirit does within our lives as his spirit moves within us you know that's what he brings to us all those things, and we respond to that. We respond to those things. Hopefully, we respond in humility. 
Hopefully, as we read from the scriptures, David said that. Uh, Throughout the Psalms, you you hear about this concept of humbleness and contriteness. Holy cow. Humbleness and contriteness. I think something that is foreign to us in our society today. Humbleness and contriteness. We respond in humility and gratitude and faith through acts of confession, through acts of repentance, through acts of commitment, adoration, thanksgiving, intercession, celebration, all those things. God moves. God moves in your life. God touches you. God does something within your life. He saves you. He gives you this grace and mercy and forgiveness. He comes in times where the walls are pressing in and he delivers you. How do you respond? How do we respond? What are our hearts like when we even assemble together and we come in here? Is it to bring glory to him? How do we respond to that? Do we respond in love and truth and conviction? I'm convinced that many of us, and and I think it's just the nature of being human too, is that we become so deceived with Satan's accusations and deception. And we start, we're not living life to the fullest. We're not encountering life to the fullest because we truly struggle. And that affects our worship. Matt Redman talks, again, just coins this again, and he says this. That's exactly what it is. He says, it's about revelation and response. God moves. God reveals himself to you, and we respond to him. Listen to what he says, or what Bob Roglin says about Matt Redman's uh, uh, thought of, of revelation and response. He says this, notice that worship does not begin with us, but finds its source in divine initiative. God reveals himself to us, and we respond to God. He goes on to say this, the intersection of these two dynamics is true worship. The two, the, where those intersect is true worship, a transforming encounter in which God loves us, and we love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope that is when we think about worship. I hope that begins to redefine how we view and and define worship within our lives. That intersection of revelation and response. God reveals himself to me in various ways, you know, through his spirit. How do I respond to that? Obviously, this moves far beyond our singing. It moves far beyond shaking hands. It moves far beyond sharing the love. It moves far beyond tithing and updates. It moves far beyond donuts and coffee uh, and all kinds of different programming that we come accustomed to when we meet on Sunday mornings. It brings us into a more holistic encounter with God that engages every aspect of our beings where we are connecting with Him, encountering Him. Rick Warren makes this statement. He says this, the most common mistake, the most common mistake Christians make in worship today is seeking an experience rather than seeking God. Let me read that again. The most common mistake, this is his his perception, the most common mistake Christians make in worship today is is that we come in seeking, and not just come in here, but maybe that's how we define worship. This is what we do on Sunday morning, and that's it. But we define worship, or we, when we do put ourselves in that position, we're looking for an experience. We're looking for an experience instead of seeking God. I hope that as we go through this 
video series, this little, just a simple video series. And Pat kind of set it up well last week. It's a dated series, man. We get it, right? I mean, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. But I think even then, doesn't that go exactly to what we're talking about? When I watch the video, I'm like, holy cow, this thing's dated, right? I, why do I say that? Why, do I, why, why would I say that? Now, you know, I, I look at it and I, you know, I say it's dated, but the truths are so powerful within this video. But I think case in point, I'm programmed. I'm programmed to, it's like, okay, wait a second, you know, this isn't meeting this criteria, this criteria, and this criteria, or whatever, you know? So I pray that none of that happens here this morning. I pray that even us using a video for our teaching and then doing a little bit of discussion questions doesn't alter your worship too, where we say, well, we didn't really worship today. What does that mean? What does that mean? If we look at it as God reveals and we respond, that can happen. God chooses to use various ways to reveal himself to us. Many times we miss that because we're programmed to see it only one way. So I hope and pray that uh, this morning as we start this video, we're going to watch another little clip, about 15 minutes or so, that will be challenged on, again, our worship and what true worship really looks like. The only way that's going to happen is for us to have open hearts and open minds and open eyes where our spiritual eyes are anticipating seeing something that we typically don't see in the physical sense. So um, if, we, if you would, let's go ahead, and then on the back side, we'll have a couple questions for you to take a peek at and just kind of discuss real quick. So right now, let's go ahead and run that video and just kind of lean into it and pay attention to what Buddy Owens has to say this week. growing up in Southern California, my favorite game to play was hide and seek. And for a nine-year-old boy, there was nothing more exciting or intriguing on a warm summer night than playing hide and seek with your friends long after curfew, annoying the neighbor's dogs, hopping over their pets, just causing a ruckus around the neighborhood. And I was a master at the game of hide and seek. I, I could have been on the Wheaties box for hide and seek players. And as a master of that game, I quickly came to learn that the secret to a really good hiding place is it had to be dark and it had to be confined. Now, to most kids, something like that would be frightening, but in the middle of the game, it's really exciting. And the other thing I knew about the hiding place is that once you get into the hiding place, don't move. Now, what does all that have to do with worship? I'll explain that in just a minute.
Well, we have to start by going back to our basic understanding of what worship is. Remember, worship is declaring the worth or the value of God. And we do that not just in the things we say, but by the way that we live. Living our whole lives as an act of worship. And I want us to focus really now on what I call the great exchange of worship. Why worship is important to God, and why it's important to us, and what happens as believers when we worship God. The Bible says in Psalm 22, verse 3, it says, You, Lord, are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In other words, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Well, now, what does that mean, enthroned? We don't talk much about thrones anymore. Well, every kingdom has a king, and every king has a throne. And the Bible is telling us that the throne of God rests on the praises of his people. There's another passage of scripture that basically says the same thing, only in a, a picture. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah 6, 1 says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now what Isaiah is saying and experiencing in this passage is that the king of the country, the king of the nation has died, so the nation is in a crisis. And Isaiah says, at that time, in the middle of a crisis, I had a vision of God, and he was seated on his throne. And the train of his robe, or the, the hem of his garment, filled the temple. Now let's think about that picture. God is on his throne, and the hem of his garment is filling the temple, the place of worship. So where then is the throne in relationship to the temple? It's above the temple. It's aligned with the place of worship. Isaiah is seeing the same thing that the psalmist said, that the Lord is enthroned on the praises of his people. Now does that mean that if people don't praise him, there's no place for God's throne? No, that's not what that means. What it does mean, though, is that when you worship God, when you declare his worth, his value, you are God, I am not, you are my provider, you are my king, you are my savior, you're my friend. When you declare worship and, and offer it to God, you are coming under the throne of his authority. You're aligning your life with his rulership, his authority, his will. You are coming under the throne of God. And God's throne is a throne of grace. Everything that we need in life is available through the grace of God. Now, am I saying that you have to say nice things and kind of butter God up to get him to do nice things for you? Not at all. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that you're more likely to feast at the king's table if you sit at the king's feet. You're more likely to get wet if you stand in a river than if you wait out in the desert. And praising God Offering him your worship places you in the river of God's grace. Now let's look at another verse from the scriptures. This one is from Psalm 89. It's verse 15. And Psalm 89, 15 is a really easy verse to miss if you're racing your way through scripture because Psalm 89 is one of those page and a halfers. But it's a key verse in an understanding of the role of worship in the life of a believer. This is what the verse says. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. 
Now let's unpack some of those words for a minute here. What does the word acclaim mean? Acclaim is kind of a funny word. I mean, how many of you have used the word acclaim in a sentence in the last week? Well, here's what acclaim means. It means to welcome joyfully with a loud shout. To welcome joyfully with a loud shout. Now here's the picture. The picture of acclaiming is uh, Sunday morning, the football game. And when the home team takes the field and the people jump up out of their seats and they welcome the team onto the field with a loud shout. That's what it means to acclaim. We acclaim the Lord by welcoming Him into our circumstances, into our life situations. Welcoming Him because we know that when He takes the field of our life, the job's going to get done. So the Bible says, blessed are those who have learned to acclaim. It's, it's a learned experience, uh, a learned behavior, and it comes with practice, comes over time. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you. Why? Because they walk in the light of your presence. Often in scripture, when you see the word walk, what it's referring to is not just putting one foot in front of the other. What it's talking about is how you live your life, your whole lifestyle, the way you converse, the way you work, the way you live in the world. And the Bible is saying that those who welcome the Lord into their situation and their circumstances, that then they live, they move, they have their being, they walk in the light of God's presence. And isn't that what we all want as believers? To live in God's presence. A constant awareness of His presence. Not just a moment over here and a moment over there. But a constant walking and living in the light of God's presence. Well, the Bible is telling us that if that's what you want in your life, then it starts by learning to welcome the Lord in worship. Welcome Him daily into your situation and your circumstances. Well, now I want to get back to, uh, to my little game of hide-and-seek. Only this time, it's about 25 years later. I was 34 years old and a, a young husband and father and like a lot of guys my age at that time, my worth, my identity was, was caught up in my, my work and my successes in my career. But there came a time when the company I was with, we, we brought in a new president and I guess like any good new president, he started asking some questions. Do we have the right people doing the right things in the right way in the right places? And so when the time came for him to kind of take a look at me, he, he took a look a couple of times and, and uh, it started to seem that maybe I wasn't in the right place doing the right thing. He began to ask me if there was maybe something else I'd want to do either there with the company or, or outside of the company. He was giving me time to, to think and process. Well, to me, I didn't see how he was trying to find the best thing for me to do. To me, it was, it was like an attack, a, a threat to, to me. I took it all the wrong way. And, and that whole period became very dark for me. And I felt like I was in a dark, confined place. And it seemed like I couldn't get out of it because I didn't want to leave, but I didn't see how I could stay. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 6, if you commit your way to the Lord, he'll direct your path. And I had committed my way to the Lord every day. 
And I had to believe that he was directing my path, and yet here I was, unable to move, not knowing what the future held, and feeling this sense of darkness and confinement and, and kind of uselessness. But I also knew this. I knew the things we've talked about. I knew that the Lord is enthroned on the praises of his people. I knew that when you worship God, it aligns you with his throne. I also knew that if you welcome him into your situation, that you will walk in the light of his presence. So I made a, a determination, a decision, that I was going to just worship God through this. I decided I wasn't even going to ask him for anything, but instead I was just going to praise him and worship him. And so every day when I would drive into work, I turned the radio off and I turned my car into a sanctuary and I just began to worship the Lord, reminding him of who he is, reminding myself of who he is. Lord, I praise you because you're my king, you're my creator. Lord, I, I praise you and I thank you because I know that you care more about my family even than I do. You're my provider and you know what this situation is that I'm facing. And Lord, I just want to thank you today. I thank you for what you've given me. I thank you for what you have not given me. And I would just talk to the Lord like that. Sometimes I would sing to him. And throughout the day, I would continue to just worship him. Even when I drove home from work, there were days when I took the long way home just so I could spend more time with God. Now, I'd like to say that the darkness lifted and the problems went away and that everything just became wonderful overnight. But it didn't. It persisted. In fact, it seemed to get darker. It seemed like, like heaven was silent. But I knew in my heart that I needed to keep worshiping. Somebody once said that the heart knows reasons that reason never knows. And in my heart, I knew I had to worship God. And so I just decided to be stubborn about it and to do everything I could just to get in God's way. And then early one fall morning, in fact, it was about four o'clock, I woke up with this question in my head. It woke me up. And the question was, when did you learn to fear a hiding place? And I sat up in bed and I heard the question again. When did you learn to fear a hiding place? I, I got up, I walked into the kitchen to try to clear my head and I, I began to pray. Just, Lord, what are, are you wanting to say something to me? Help me understand this. And then my memories of hide and seek as a kid came back to me. And then the Lord whispered deep into my heart. He said, the darkness is a fold in my cloak. I've been hiding you. What are you so afraid of? I, di I didn't know what to say to the Lord. That was more than I ever could have imagined. That all this time I had been so afraid, and yet now with a new perspective, I could see how God had been shielding me, protecting me, keeping me in this, this secret place. I think I learned that morning what the psalmist meant in Psalm 91 when he said, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I will trust. 
I found such freedom that morning at that table, hearing those words in my heart. Because I knew that God had been true to his word, that in my crisis I had offered worship. I had brought myself under the throne of God and surrendered to his authority in my life by offering him praise and worship. And then I saw the grace of God manifested in my life. Now let me ask you a question. Are you in a dark, confined place right now in your life? Are you feeling like you can't move? Are you facing a crisis? Let me encourage you to worship God. Offer Him your praise and your worship. Offer yourself to God in praise. Come and, come and stand in the river of His grace. Surrender your life to Him. Come underneath His throne. Welcome Him into your circumstance by worshiping Him. Jesus said in John 4, 23, He said, the Father is looking for worshipers. So if you're looking for God and you just can't seem to find Him, then stop what you're doing and worship Him. And He will come find you. I will give you all my worship And I will give you all my praise You alone I long to you alone are worthy of my praise. Okay, here in just literally the next couple minutes, two or three minutes, what I want you to do, we got three questions. Now, extroverts, you devoured this last week, man, that you were in your zone, okay? We got to help the introverts this week, all right? So what I want you to do is please turn to someone if you're not around someone, either maybe kind of shift over or please others that are around one person, go to them and just look at these. We're going to throw up, I'm going to th put the first question up here right now. Uh, so right now you guys are kind of moving around, right? And they're also on the back of the program if you grabbed one or on the front of it, I should say. But the first question is this, what I want you to do here in the next just very few, like literally a few, uh, just one minute or so. What happens in our lives as a result of worshiping God? So you need to turn and go right now. Everybody's talking. Everybody's getting together. We're moving. What happens in our lives as a result of worshiping God? Okay, question number two. Ted's done. Question number two. Worship is a learned behavior. How can you learn to worship God? Worship is a learned behavior. He talked about this. If worship is a learned behavior, how can you learn to worship God? Go. Okay, last question. Some of you are getting really frustrated right now, aren't you? I know. What does it mean? This is where you can spend time afterwards. That would be awesome. What does it mean uh, to you to live in the river of God's grace? He talked about this. What does it mean to, for you or to you to live in the river of God's grace? And what images does that evoke? Okay, so you only got a couple seconds. Worship team is going to come back. We're going to close with a song and worship God through song. But what does it mean? River of God's grace and what images come to your mind when you uh, think about that?
Okay, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. The worship team's going to come back up. We're going to, we're going to center back around uh, and worship God through song. So if you would, just uh, bow your heads and your hearts as, as we uh, prepare our hearts for this uh, to do that. Father, thank you so much uh, for being here uh, with us. And I pray that we didn't uh, use this time for ourselves, but we anticipated encountering you. We know that when we encounter you that we're, we're going to be blessed. You know, when we come into your presence, things, are, things happen. Uh, and so, but I pray that it wasn't about us. I pray that it was about you. And I pray that you would just minister to us here this morning. Uh, some of us uh, really need to be standing in that river. Of, all of us need to be standing there right now. But for some, we can relate with Buddy in his particular situation where... Um, you feel distant, and the only thing we can do is draw upon what we know, like David uh, did. He continued to praise you. And so we give you praise and thanks because we know that you will meet us. And so as we close our time here and, and engage in one last worship song, I pray that our hearts would just, a, a praise would just remove, just flow from our hearts unto you. May, we, may you reveal yourself to us more, and may we just respond to you. And we pray and ask this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.